I'm home. This is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, an introspective look into video gaming from the classic era until today. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, Brian here, and this is episode number 14 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Uh, I did a quick check of emails, uh, nothing there this time through, so... I'm going to get right on with the show. So, um, if you need to get a hold of the show, you can drop me an email at arcadeaddictbrian, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Also, there is a voice number for the show, 734-743-2433. Also, I have social media up and running. I have a Facebook page, just search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. Um, if you find me on Twitter, that is at arcadeaddict underscore B. Also I have an Instagram page, that is at arcadeaddictbrian. And on Tumblr, it is tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So there are various ways to get a hold of the show. So if you have any questions, suggestions, critiques, anything of that nature, as long as it's done in a positive manner, have at it. I'm here for you. I'm doing this not just for myself, but also for all the people out there listening, which is an audience that is slowly growing. So, without any further ado, let's get on with this show. Let's go into Top 10s. tens. 1985. Let's see, at this point, I'm what, 16 years old? I'm still going to arcades as much as I can. Um, not too much else going on in that, that portion of my life that I can remember of any sort of real significance, not until 1986 anyway, which I'll talk about when we get to it. Um, the arcades are still going pretty strong. Um, you're, there's a slight dip, at least to me at the time. I think there's a slight dip in the number of people going, although on the weekends, whether it was Trumbull Mall Arcade, Spanky's, um, Milford Rec, or even uh, Arnie's Place, they were doing pretty good business on the weekends. So, um, still good quality games coming out and you know a lot of them were challenging and they were fun to play so let's just get right into this top tens once again this is not done in any particular order um and like i keep saying it would take too much brain power for me to actually rank these one to ten so i just go in more or less alphabetical order or if something pops at me while I'm doing my notes, I put it in there, and then I just, you know, cast my memory back and see how that game actually was in those days. So let's get right to it. Commando. This game was fun, even though it was, to me, it was pretty frustrating. Um, basically, it's a World War II style game, vertical scrolling, shooter, um, you are a soldier, 
basically rescuing prisons, prisoners of war and going through stages. Um, you have a machine gun and you have grenades. You only have a limited supply of grenades. You can you pick them up as you go through levels. Um, but yeah, most of the things you can kill, you can kill with machine guns. This is one of those games where you had to really be good with your positioning. Meaning that you could fire in eight directions, but your your adversaries, your enemies, would actually come in at like more directions than that. I'd say if you had eight directions to move in, I'd say they had like 16 at least. Because there were some times where enemies would be moving away from your character, but you can't hit them because you know without doing major repositioning. But yeah, it was a fun game. I mean, I was not so great at it, but it, it was fun. It was fun to watch other people play, especially those who were good at it. Okay, The Empire Strikes Back. Now, like I said when I did my Are You Experienced for Star Wars, um, that the Star Wars trilogy, movie trilogy, video game adaptations came out in we a weird order. Star Wars came out in 83, Return of the Jedi came out in 84, The Empire Strikes Back came out in 1985. I was not a big fan of this game, as funny as it is and as much of a Star Wars geek as I was. You know, it was challenging, sure, but there just seemed to be uh, like an unfinished element to the game. There really was. Um, you know, you went through stages, um, you did the Battle of Hoth, and then you did um, the, then you actually did the Asteroid Field, and then you had to shoot down TIE Fighters. I think I'm missing a stage, but I can't remember it offhand. But as you go through the game, as you go through each level, you basically had to finish a, you had to complete a certain task within a stage within a certain amount of time. Well, by the end of the stage, anyway, then you would earn a letter that would spell out Jedi, you know, J-E-D-I. So, I think once you spelled Jedi, you got um, a point bonus. So, yeah, and, you know, like I said, I only saw this game maybe two or three times. Spanky's didn't have it. I'm trying to remember if Milford Wreck had it. I don't think they did. I'm trying to remember where I saw it, and I can't, for the life of me. Trouble Mall certainly didn't have it. Um, I, it might have been Arnie's place, but I don't think so. There was another arcade. It might, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was uh, Connecticut Pulse Mall, or something like that. But yeah, it was a game that I very rarely saw. And I haven't seen an actual dedicated Empire Strikes Back machine in quite some time. Okay, Gauntlet. <laughs> this one, of course, fed two of my addictions at the time, being, of course, in arcade, arcade games and Dungeons and & Dragons. You know, circa 1985, I am neck deep in uh, Dungeons & Dragons. If I'm not hanging out at the mall in the arcade, you know, this is what I'm doing. I'm, you know, playing games with my... playing D&D with my friends, and... Um, you know, create, you know, learning, learning the gaming system and starting to write my own adventures and so forth. Um, Gauntlet, of course, is a four-player, um, 
D&D style game where you have to win your way through enemies and generators, picking up treasure, picking up keys, picking up food to keep your characters alive in order to reach the end of a level. Now, these, this game went from levels 1 to level 255. <laughs> so it took you a very, very long time to complete this game, but it was a lot of fun. It really was. You know, this was like one of the first real D&D style uh, arcade games. I mean, you'll see more as we get further along in our top tens once we get into like the mid to late 90s. But yeah, so Gauntlet. I mean, that was so that was a lot of fun. I mean, the play action was great. The you know the sound effects were fantastic. The voiceover was of course you know top notch, and it still remains a part of uh, the lexicon today. So, you know, yeah, Gauntlet was, it, Gauntlet was a fantastic game, and, you know, I played it, I played it with, by myself, I played it with people, you know, it was one of those games where, yeah, if you got three friends, you could spend, a, easily spend $5 a piece on the game, and for a while, it was, it did a whole lot of, a whole lot of good business, I should say. Okay, Ghosts and Goblins. This game I didn't really start playing until the following year, 1986, when um, uh, Bolarama got it in their game room. Um, basically, you're a knight trying to rescue his love from a demon, and it is a very hard game. <laughs> I remember in 1986, I threw so many quarters at this game, it's not even funny. And only towards the latter half of 1986 did I come close to beating it the first time. And yes, this is a game you actually have to beat twice <laughs> in order to get, you know, the ending for the game to end if you're really good. I got to the first ending and I didn't get very much further past that. Um, but yeah, it's a blast to play, especially once you figure out what's going on. You are provided a different array of weapons um, you have to basically shoot various enemies from zombies to other demons to, you know, minor demons. I mean, there's a plethora of enemies to shoot and to kill. Um, yeah, basically your man is in a suit of armor. If he gets hit by an enemy or a projectile, um, the armor comes off and now he's in his skivvies. And now you have to basically... Uh, try to complete the level without getting hit again, because of course you get hit again, you lose life. But yeah, Ghosts and Goblins was a great game. It was immensely challenging, and it's, in my opinion, I'd say at least top 25. Top 25 games of all time, arcade games of all time. Uh, let's see, Green Beret. I knew this game more as a Russian attack. Um, this one was more of a, I want to say, a modern war game. It was side-scrolling. You are a soldier trying to free prisoners of war, and you have to go through various stages to get there. And, of course, you are beset by enemies. You are beset by um, enemies that will just run after you and try to hit you 
and kill you, there are those who want to shoot you, there are those who throw grenades, there are those who are martial arts experts who will try to jump in the air and jump kick you, um, there are those who shoot uh, bazookas, you know, and so forth and so on. And it was one of those games where I was always playing it, but I could never quite get to the end. It was one of those games where you had to learn patterns and learn, uh, you know, what, where, you know, where you were safe and where you weren't, and how your enemies would attack you and how you could deal with them. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I play this every once in a while in emulation just to sort of, you know, keep my hand in, and I haven't really dedicated any serious time towards beating it, although I should one of these days. So, yeah, Green Beret. Hang on. This was one of Sega's best games, in my opinion. Um, you're basically on a... You're basically in, uh... Uh... An FIM racer. You were, you're on a uh, motorcycle... And you are racing against other motorcycles in increasingly difficult courses to get to the end. I mean, it's, um, oh boy, I would say, oh my goodness, this, this was a lot of fun because you actually used motorcycle controls. You had the throttle grip on the right, you had the brakes, you know, it was, you know, it was a lot of fun to play. I mean, the music was great, the action was great, you had to learn how to handle your bike correctly. You had to learn when it was okay to go flat out and when it was time to hit the brakes and go around a really tight corner. And, you know, if you were good enough, you could get through all the stages and finish the game. I think I've done that once, maybe twice, <laughs> ever since I started playing it. But yeah, I mean, Hang On was just a blast to play and a blast, you know, it was a good experience all around. Okay, Map Mania. This game was one of my favorite games of all time, and especially in 85. I mean, I talked about it in, what was it, episode 7, where I basically was with a bunch of friends, and they went to the movies, and I didn't have enough money to accompany them, so I basically went over to the Map Mania machine in the lobby, and I played that for two hours while they watched the movie. And they were a little bit, they were amazed when they came out and they saw I was still playing it. So, yeah, by that time I had learned all the secrets. Um, there's a guy who frequents the Galloping Ghost Arcade in Chicago who has the world record. Basically, he straight-nined it. I think it's, what, 9,999,990 points. And I think he did it in, like, six hours or something like that. But, yeah, and so, basically, it's, you're a, a wrestler who goes up against various enemies who have different kinds of attacks, and basically you want to pin your enemies and rack up as many points as you can before the timer runs out or the enemy does enough damage to you that you are at risk of getting pinned. And, you know, like, and in a nutshell, that's pretty much Map Mania. There are so many different ways of mastering this game and um it's you know you as long as you have the stamina and the interest if you know the different methods you can use you can play this game pretty much indefinitely 
until you max the score out like that one guy did. I don't remember his name, but I got in a little tiff with him on uh, on Facebook about it, and I'm just letting that just lie where it is. So yeah, Matt Mania. Ring King. This game was a massive amount of frustration for me. Like you would think, it's, like the name suggests, it's a boxing game. Um, it's a lot different than Punch-Out! or its successor, Super Punch-Out! Um, basically, it's a isometric view in a boxing ring, and this is one of those games where positioning is just as much of a factor as what punches you throw. Um, this game has three buttons, I think one threw a jab, one throws like a hook, and the other one throws like a, an uppercut or something like that. And depend and as you're going through your various opponents, you have to figure out how to break their guard and how to hit them and knock them out before they can do the same to you. The problem is this game could be really, really cheap. <laughs> you know, uh, like I said, incredibly frustrating, but I think this game was made by Data East sort of for that purpose, because this game was a quarter-eater extreme. I mean, I would get frustrated, I would watch people play it, they would get frustrated, and they just throw more quarters in it, or tokens, and try to, you know, continue the game. The learning curve on this game was ridiculously steep. It really was. But, I mean, the, I give this a top ten because it was, it was a really good game despite all its shortcomings. 720 Degrees. Oh yeah, this game caused quite the stir when it came out. I mean, 1985, uh, skateboarding had really got started getting into the mainstream by this time. Um, there were, I think there are one or two movies about skateboarding by this time. I mean, of course, you know, skateboarding really got its start in California, and it started spreading out from there. I mean, by 1985, by one of my friends, Edgar, he was really into the skating culture. I mean, he would pick up, you know, skating, skateboarding magazines, you know, he would, you know, listen to some of the music that some of the skaters would recommend and things like that. You know, uh, I think he, yeah, he did a little bit of, of uh, skateboarding but not a lot but this game was at the same time it drew you in because it was a great game by atari but it was so complex it was so tough to play i mean you had to know exactly what you were doing when you were playing this game otherwise you you could be off this game almost as fast as playing defender if you didn't know what you were doing i mean within 30 seconds 45 maybe you would just be out the door so but as you played the game and you got to know what you could do with it okay basically what it is i'm trying to remember exactly but basically you're wanting to perform tricks to get points to upgrade i think upgrade your skateboard and also to enter into other uh levels you had to, and of course, you had to do do tricks, and the more complex the trick, the more points you would score, and so on and so forth. And, of course, the classic 
skate or die sound effect would come up if you were taking too long try, you know, trying to do what you're supposed to do and a swarm of bees will come after you. And if, the, of course, they touched you, they killed you, and that was pretty much that. So yeah, 720 degrees. One of the, one of the more innovative games of 1985, for sure. Okay, Yair Kung Fu. <laughs> I love this game. I mean, I'm a sucker for martial arts movies, and this game fit the bill in so many ways. I mean, you know, my love of martial arts games really started with uh, Kung Fu Master and uh, uh, Karate Champ back in 1984. But Yahar Kung Fu was a pretty good entry into this level, because it, it basically took from all of the wuxia martial arts flicks from the 70s going into the 80s and you know it was just it's just a wonderful game to play it really once you once you know how you what you're doing basically you are a martial artist trying to beat all of the uh enemies in uh one-on-one -on -one matchups and as you go further along in uh, into the game as you defeat more enemies they become harder and harder and then you know, you're, you know, you have uh, basically 16 directions, or is it eight? No, it's eight. What am I thinking? Eight directions. Uh, you have eight directions on the joystick. Each one with a punch or a kick button combination would have him use a different attack. And it was, and it, and it was a challenge to find out what attacks work best against a particular enemy to where you could beat that enemy without taking too much damage yourself. Um, basically, it was like a, it was a life bar, but it was more or less segmented into like, what is it? I think it was six or, no, it was eight. It was eight uh, segments to that life bar, so you could get hit eight times before you lost a life, and so your enemy could hit, get hit eight times before you would uh, defeat it. But yeah. I mean, I saw someone on Facebook who basically mastered Yair Kung Fu to the point where he was putting up, like, scores in the millions very easily because he knew how to defeat each enemy. And he would do so without taking damage, which, of course, led to perfects. You know, as you progress along, I think you start out with the first enemy. If, if you beat him without taking damage, it's 10,000 points on top of what's left on your life bar, and then it would go 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, all the way to the end, uh, the end level guy who was a martial artist just like you, and basically if you beat him without taking damage, I think it was 100,000 points on top of your life bar by this time. I mean, you're talking 150,000 points for beating him, which was pretty significant. So yeah, Yair Kung Fu, that was a fantastic game. Honorable mentions. Choplifter. This is the arcade adaptation of a computer game. Which is, at this point, 1985 is kind of rare. Because that most of the most of the uh, games that are coming out for the computers, computers, most of them were adaptations from the arcade. But this was the other way around. Choplifter was a computer game I think came out, I think, 1983. It's either 83 or 84. I may be wrong about that. Actually, I think it might even be 82. Something. It's one of those years. But 
Um, so it got the arcade treatment, better graphics, better gameplay, but basically you're a helicopter trying to rescue, uh, rescue people and bring them back to your base without being shot down, you know, and, you know, just do, you know, just, you would garner a score. And the computer game was a lot more simple, but the premise was exactly the same. So, yeah, um, I played this a little bit. I wasn't very good at it, so I moved on from it after, you know, spending, like, a, you know, a couple dollars on it and not getting anywhere, really. Um, although watching, you know, guys like, you know, my friend Mark, who was really good at it, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting game to watch, although it was a little frustrating for me to play. Um, Dig Dug 2. I never saw this game until I saw the, the uh, adaptation for the Nintendo Entertainment System, believe it or not. I never saw Dig Dug 2 Machine in the arcade. But I give this... I, give the, I put this in honorable mentions because of my experience of, with playing it on the, super, on the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, it, it's uh, a lot, little bit different than the first Dig Dug. I mean, you basically are on an island... And you have the, you basically have to uh, destroy portions of the island with monsters on them to get points. You know, and you have to destroy all the monsters on the island to get to the next level. So, yeah, I mean, it was really, really challenging. I mean, I saw a video on YouTube about somebody else who knew how to get the maximum amount of points in the minimum amount of time. You know, basically you had to draw the monsters to one particular area and, you know, destroy that part of the island and, and basically rack up, you know, these ridiculous scores. But, yeah. I, I never, like I said, I never saw a Dig Dug 2 machine in the arcade. I've only seen the NES version and somebody playing it on uh, YouTube and also an emulation. That's the only ones I have. Gunsmoke. This game I've only played in the arcade a few times. It was pretty rare. Um, this was a vertical scrolling shooter by Capcom. Uh, as the title would suggest, you are basically a sheriff trying to take down uh, various boss enemies, and you have to uh, traverse a vertical scrolling level in order to reach them. Uh, various enemies are shooting at you, throwing knives at you, throwing dynamite at you, and so on and so forth. Um, as, of course, you go through levels, the game gets harder. But it's still a lot of fun to play. I mean, this game had... You had to use a lot of strategy in order to play it. I mean, you had three buttons which would shoot... The center button would shoot straight forward, and the two buttons to either side of that button would shoot out at 45-degree angles, or something like that. It might even be less, but I'm no mathematician. So, and basically, you would also uh, shoot various, like, barrels and things like that, and you would get bone, you would get uh, things to augment your uh, sheriff. You would get longer range on your gunshots. You would get a horse. You would be able to increase speed to your, you know, your sheriff would move faster and things like that. So it required quite a bit of strategy and a really good, really good hand-eye coordination and really good uh, area of, you know, uh, an area of awareness because you have enemies shooting at you from various angles and from various places on the screen and you have to really be cautious as to where 
you know, the shots are coming from and whether or not you can take them out before they take you out. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. Gunsmoke. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I remember when Trumbull Mall Arcade got this one. Um, of course, it's a tie-in to the Indiana Jones movie, which was in, released in 1984. Um, you, of course, are Indiana Jones, and you have to rescue children from Mola Ram. And there are, I think, three different kinds of levels to this game. Um, the, of course, the more memorable one is the one where you're riding in the mining cart and you're having to use your whip against enemies to take them out as you're going past them and you have to pick the right track for your car to go onto so you didn't run into a dead end and die and so forth and so on. I was never very good at this game. <laughs> I'll be straight up on that. Um, my buddy Mark was. He was really good at it. And I used to watch him play it because, you know, as new games came in, of course, he would sort of gravitate towards them a little bit, you know, just to sort of get, uh, play them and get, you know, get good at them. I, I was envious of him in that way. He would, he would just, within about, I'd say, what, a, within a month's time, maybe even less, he would actually be more or less an expert in a game. But, yeah, he was just that good. But, um, yeah, it... It, it was really good. Atari did a really good job with this one because it it had the feeling of an Indiana Jones movie as you're playing it. You know, the excitement, the music, you know, um, the fast gameplay, and things like that. But, yeah, I never was good at it, so, yeah. But it still gets an honorable mention here just because of what I remember of it. Uh, let's see, Tiger Heli. This game... I only played, I think, in... Where was it? I want to say it was the News Corner. I think it was the News Corner when I first started playing this game. Uh, basically, it is a vertical scrolling shooter. Um, you are in a helicopter, and you are basically trying to get through levels, and you can use either your, gun, your guns, which don't have very good range, and you could also use your uh, bombs. You only had two. Well, it was sort of like just set up like a uh, actual like attack chopper. You only had two bombs on weapons pods on to the left and right of your chopper. It was really interesting. Um, it was a decent shooter because it required you to be able to um, learn about spacing. And what I mean by that is is that you had to be able to know how far your shots went and how close you could get to an enemy to be able to affect it without them shooting you down. So, um, that that game was like a precursor to some uh, other games that would come out. I think I've got a couple of them on top tens in uh, future uh, episodes, so stay tuned for that. Um, and finally, Space Harrier. This was another one by Sega that was just a mind trip to play. As a matter of fact, this game intimidated me just a little bit. Um, basically, you are a, you know, you are a hero on this, who is basically riding this rocket ship, or not rocket ship, but this, like, rocket uh, apparatus that would actually, that also shot lasers out of the front of it, and you would basically fly through all of these different levels, and this was, I can't remember the name of the processing style of this kind of game, but this was, like, the second one that Sega did, a second or third one, I think, and 
this one had this one was just like you would see like freaky monsters coming from the distance and coming straight at you had this wonderful like 3d illusory effect and um it was just it was fun to watch and fun to play um of course this game gets a lot of love on the spa on, excuse me on the sega master system and the sega genesis because they're they're actually really good adaptations of the arcade game um but yeah i mean then in 1986 and 87 more of these type of games would come out by, from sega and of course i'll talk about them because i think i put them in my top tens so yeah these are my top tens and honorable mentions for 1985 uh, any thoughts, questions, comments, you know how to get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, let's go into story time. Our bodies are given life in the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing is the meaning of the phrase, form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness. It's the meaning of the phrase, emptiness is form. One should not think that these are two separate things. Story time. Okay, this one is more than a little bit embarrassing, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I put this in, I put this in my, uh, I put this in my Google Docs page as a segment. So, I'm just going to go with it, and bear with me. Okay, to set it up, I, of course, as I've told you through the various episodes, how much of an arcade junkie I was, especially the arcade at the Trouble Mall. Um, starting in 78, or excuse me, yeah, 78, and all the way up to this point, I want to say, goodness, what year did this start? I think this started in like 1980 or 81, somewhere in there. As a matter of fact, it was 1980, because I, I remember. But basically, if I, if I didn't have money to spend at this arcade, I was hanging around in it as long as I could get away with. Um, like I said, the guy who was the, the guy who tended the arcade, his name was Carlo, really nice guy. He was always nice to me, but yeah, if I was hanging out there a little too much and I wasn't spending any money, he would shoot me out of there. But until that happened, I was constantly watching other people play. And especially with people I knew, you know, I would sort of start this little running commentary while they're playing. I mean, it wasn't... Running commentary is not quite the right term, but it's the only one I can think of. Like I said, it's late. My brain's not 100%. Um, but if they pulled off a really good maneuver, you know, I'd say, hey, I'd say, hey, nice move. Or if he, if somebody was doing something, like, and he, let's say, like he was in Pac-Man and he made a really brilliant move to avoid getting eaten by the ghosts, I'd say something like, you know, yeah, you made that by skin your teeth or something like that. And, you know, I did it with mostly people I knew in that arcade. And, unfortunately, like I've also said, a lot of the kids who would frequent this arcade, they weren't very nice people to be 100 about it. And, but at the same time, if I'm going to be honest about that, if I'm honest about myself, I was an annoying little kid. 
who didn't know most of the time when to shut up until it was pretty much too late. So, I just remember one day, um, I think I was watching someone playing, I'm watching uh, one of my contemporaries, I can't even call them friends because they weren't friendly towards me, uh, watching them play Missile Command. And um, he got through a particularly harrowing level and, you know, I just gave him some, you know, gave him a little, little, you know, positive, like, hey, man, that was really, that was really cool what you just did there. And some other kid who was watching on the other side of the machine waited until the game was over. Then he came up to me and he basically said, dude, you need to shut the hell up. You sound like Howard Cosell, you know, while we're playing these games. And one and some other kid who was like, yeah, Howie, you need to shut up. <laughs> and that's how I got my arcade nickname for, oh goodness, if this happened in 1980, I think I've finally got them to stop calling me that by like 1984, 83 or 84, somewhere in there. But yeah, so like I said, these guys weren't exactly the nicest of people. So yeah, anywhere I went, especially like Trumbull Mall Arcade, uh, Bolarama, sometimes even down, down at Spanky's. Um, if one of them saw me, yeah, he'd be like, hey, and he'd be like, Howie, what's up? And I'd be like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit humiliating, but at the same time, being a grown-ass man now, you know, I can actually honestly say that, you know, on a couple of levels, I just, I kind of deserved it. I was being a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I basically had to endure it, and... For a little while, I just tried to roll with it. You know, I kind of knew after that point that, yeah, I needed to shut the hell up and let and let people play the games. They don't need, you know, somebody doing commentary or, you know, complimenting them at all, you know, if they do good or saying something if they do bad or even if they, you know, get out of it, you know, somehow, some way. So, yeah, I had to deal with that for about three and a half, maybe four years, before, basically, uh, I think I walked in the arcade one day, and I said, you know what, I am tired of these guys calling me this, and by this time, I just said, you want to know what, I thought to myself, if they start calling me that, I'm not going to acknowledge them, even if they walk and they're looking me straight in the eye and saying it, and until they do, they <laughs> until they stop saying it, I won't acknowledge them. So I went to the arcade one day, and, you know, I'm just doing my normal thing. I think it was a Saturday. Uh, I think I got my allowance from my mom, and, you know, I'm just, you know, going around playing games. And one of, the, one of those kids came up to me and started calling me Howie, and I just would, I basically looked over their right shoulder <laughs> and did not respond. And actually then he called me Howie again, and I just basically walked away from him, and then I just went over to a game, put in a token, started playing, and he's like, hey man, what, you know, what's your problem? I said, my, the problem is, my name's Brian, my name's not Howie, you can stop calling me that now, and uh, then cut, smash cut to maybe a couple of weeks later, same thing happens. 
and by this time I'm just like okay this is how it's gonna be and you know they call and they start calling me by that name and then I just turn around and walk away and then he finally and then finally one of them calls me by my name and I basically turned around and said yeah what's up and that's when it stopped <laughs> yeah I'm not gonna say that I didn't deserve it because I did but at the same time it's something that went on for way too long and I let it go on for too long but what are you gonna do I'm a sensitive kid from you know the wrong side of the tracks and God only knows things like that affected me pretty deeply back then only by the time I turned like 16 17 did I learn not to let stuff like that bother me anymore because all it would do is just amuse whoever was messing with me it didn't it it didn't stop until I made it stop so yeah that's my arcade nickname <sighs> that wasn't so easy to get out I will say um, Without any further ado, let's move on to the rest, to another segment in the show. Let's go on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Hobby, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying wet arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe we're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. Say like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not gonna buy a hemorrhoid cookie. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Super punch out. Okay. This one. Like I said, this one came out right on the heels of the first punch out, which came out in 1984. Um. This one came out, uh, when Punch-Out! came out in early 1984, this one came out, I want to say, I want to say it came out in the summer of 84. Um, it was interesting, because Super Punch-Out!, because I just remember one day I went there, it, went to the arcade in Trouble Mall, and Punch-Out! was there, played it a few times, left alone. Then I come in the next day, and that one's out, and Super Punch-Out!'s in its place. And I'm like, Super Punch-Out!? I'm like, okay, this is interesting, and, you know, I start playing it, and of course I'm not very good because I don't know about the duck feature yet, <laughs> so yeah, I didn't get past Bear Hugger for a, a little while until I actually saw somebody who knew what he was doing play it, and I, and I figured it out, but yeah, uh, to quote from Wikipedia, Super Punch-Out! is a 1984 arcade game by Nintendo. As a sequel to Punch-Out! of the same year, it retains the same gameplay and digitized speech. Okay, stop there. Um, it retains digitized speech, it's true. The gameplay was faster. <laughs> it was markedly faster. I want to say it's like 25% faster. Um, it was a lot, you know, so by that you had to learn your timing on your punches and move a little quicker. Um, but yeah, so continue. Uh, introduced new characters to the Punch-Out! series, such as Bear Hugger, Dragon Chan, Vodka Drakensky, whose name was changed to Soda, Pompin Soda Popinski in later releases, Great Tiger, and Super Macho Man. As in the original Punch-Out!, the player assumes the role of green-haired boxer, later recast as Little Mac in the 1987 NES version of Punch-Out!, uh, known by three initials, who works through the ranks of the WVBA, which is the World Video Boxing Association, 
uh, during matches, the player's boxer is viewed from the rear as a wireframe so the opponents are visible to the player. The player must precisely time punches, dodges, and blocks in order to defeat the opposing boxer. Hints are given to as the opponent's next move by subtle eye changes. Of course, the first set of uh, opponents, their eyes turn yellow when they're about to attack. Um, but the player must ultimately predict what moves the opponent will make and react appropriately. That was the other thing that Super Punch-Out had. Um, it wasn't anywhere near as predictable as Punch-Out was. Um, you know, if you're really good at Punch-Out, shout out to Zallard1, who is streaming on Twitch as I'm speaking right now. That was the thing about Super Punch-Out, is that not only was the action faster, but the opponents had differing patterns, and even they could actually step out of the patterns they would use just to confuse you, especially towards the end of the first uh, set of enemies. Uh, Super Macho Man sometimes would do things you think you haven't figured out, and all of a sudden he would do thing, something that's completely different, and he would, he would get you. Um, once the player defeats the final opponent, the, the player will win the heavyweight belt, then defend it against the same characters that have already been beaten. Each successful time they are met, the, the opponents are harder and quicker. In order to win a bout, the player must knock out the opponent within one three-minute round, Failure to do so also results in an automatic loss. A technical knockout is awarded if either fighter is knocked down three times, but the opponent will sometimes fail to rise after the first or second knockdown. Um, yeah, and that's very true. Um, at least to me, uh, with Punch-Out not getting hit, with the exception of one or two fighters, that you go up against, not getting hit usually meant if you knock them down twice they would stay down. Uh, with the exception of course of Super Macho Man. Um, as a matter of fact I watched Zallard 1 doing his punch out run through as I called it because he basically started with arcade punch out, went to Super Punch Out, went to Mike Tyson's punch out, went to the punch out on the uh, Switch and, you know, went through all of those games. It was really interesting to watch. Um, but, yeah, he has the timing down so quickly that most of the time uh, you could, he could basically keep the opponent down after knocking him down twice. But, yeah. Um, one of the other things, aside from having a high score table, was the knockout time table. Uh, for each fighter, there was a top three uh, as to how quickly the player defeated the fighter. And, you know, there were some, you know, there, like with Bear Hugger, if you're really good at it, you could beat him inside of, what, 17 seconds? I think the, I think the fastest I've ever seen was like 15-something or 16-something. But yeah, so that was also something else to shoot for, is if, you know, beating them weren't enough, you had to beat them, you know, really, really quickly. So, yeah, I mean, uh, each enemy is just really, is, has its quirks and way, and of course there are ways to defeat them, and of course there's a, uh, a different uh, control to the game. Um, the arcade is housed in a modified upright cabinet, just like the original Punch-Out. It requires two vertically stacked monitors. Uh, the top monitor is used to display statistics, while the bottom one is the main game display. It is otherwise a standard upright arcade cabinet, has a joystick and three buttons. 
Two buttons control the left and right punches, one for each arm. One button delivers a strong uppercut or right hook, but only works when the super meter is full, which you only get by hitting your opponent. Uh, the super meter is filled by landing successful punches, yes. It is drained when the f player fails to block or dodge an attack, or if the player is knocked down. Also, that uh, meter can be drained if you basically punch your opponent, but he blocks it. Of course, that's before the uh, uh, the KO meter is filled. Once it's filled, the only way it comes down is if your opponent actually hits you. Um, unlike the super original, original Super Punch-Out also features a joystick, which can be pulled straight up from the panel, allowing the player to duck opponent's punches, or special attacks, yes. You can duck Bear Hugger's uh, Bear Hug Punch, you can duck Dragon Chan's Flying Kick, you can duck Super Macho Man's uh, Swing Punch, and those were the only ways you could duck, duck uh, you know, avoid getting hit by those attacks. And of course, you get hit by those attacks, most of the time they will knock you down straight out. Um, in the case of Super Macho Man, um, I think if you're moving to either side when he hits you with a swing punch, uh, the fast swing punch anyway, he, it'll actually drain a lot of your health, it won't actually knock you down. But if he hits you with the really slow swing punch, it will always knock you down. So yeah. Um... I played this so much in, in that arcade. Um, as a matter of fact, towards the end of uh, Trumbull Mall Arcade's run, um, I had a pseudo job there. Um, I would go in there and uh, the owner, whose name I think was Eric, um, he basically said, yeah, if you clean the screen, you know, clean the screens of these arcade, of all these arcade games and pinball machines, I'll give you a bunch of, uh, credits on a machine of your choice. And I remember I did that one day, and he basically said, alright, which game do you want? I said, give me Super Punch-Out. And he put, like, oh god, I want to say 25 credits on that machine. So I was playing it for a good, solid hour, hour and a half. <laughs> that's one of my f favorite memories of that arcade you know I mean by that time yeah everybody in everybody worked for that arcade knew who I was and but at the same time I also was uh, I also was you know spending whatever money I had in there at that time so yeah <laughs> it, that's just how it was back then but yeah super punch out I mean great you know, fantastic sequel you know, takes everything Super Punch, the regular Punch-Out was, and just dials it up some more. And it's a lot of fun to play. I play it in emulation. Uh, when I go to the arcade in Brighton, they used to have Punch-Out and Super Punch-Out right next to each other, but now they just have uh, Punch-Out, which is unfortunate, because I would have much rather them have Super Punch-Out, because it's just a more interesting game to play. Um, so yeah, that's Super Punch-Out. Uh, any thoughts, comments, you know how to get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, let's see where we're at. We are going to go to Arcade Review.
Arcade Review, Spanx. Okay, okay, like I said, when I decided to do Arcade Reviews, of course I have to do the ones that I grew up with. And I did my utmost to be fair in my thoughts and critiques of these arcades. And I think I was, because after I tallied all the scores together and uh, averaged them out, and I'm like, really? It only got that high? Really? So, alright, let's delve into this. Okay, like I said, Arcade Review has, based on five criteria, location, selection, ambiance, functionality, value. Um, arcade and selection are pretty self-explanatory. Ambiance is pretty much everything uh, aside from the uh, video games. Um, how is the, you know what, how is the place lit? Does it have little touches? Does it have art on the walls or neon on the walls? Uh, other video game memorabilia on the walls? Does it have does it play music over the well, speakers? Things like that. Um, functionality. Do the games work? If they don't work, how long does it take till they get fixed? So forth and so on. Um, value, of course. Um, you know, how much money are you spending to play these games? Is it decent? Is it good? Is it bad? So forth and so on. So yeah, those are my criteria. Um, each criteria is rated 1 to 10 with half points coming into play. Um, and at the end, I tally up the score, average it out by 5, and we see what the final score is. So let's get to it. Location, I give to Spanky's, I give it a 7. Uh, Spanky's was located on the southern part of the north end of Bridgeport, Connecticut, at the intersection of Lindley Street and Boston Avenue, otherwise known as U.S. Highway 1. Um, it was also located right next to Route 8, which is a north-south highway that connects Bridgeport to Waterbury and all the towns in between those two cities. Um, it was a good 20 to 30 minute walk to get there from my house, and also there was a bus route that went right by that location. So it was easy to get to. There were, It was right off of a major highway, and it was right on a... Uh, U.S. Highway right next to it. So yeah, you could get to it pretty easily. You know, it was really good. It was actually a pretty good location. Okay, so I gave that a 7. Selection, 8.5. Spanky's had the latest games. They always did. When the newest games came out, they got them very quickly. Um, but while they did that, they also kept a lot of the classics and older games. I mean, I'm trying to remember one of the last times I went to Spanky's. I think it was 1987, maybe 88, somewhere in there. And they had, um, you know, the latest games from that time, but they also had games like Gorf and Wizard of War and things like that. I mean, they had a wonderful mix of new stuff and older stuff. It was fantastic. Um, as an example... Until I saw a video on Twitch from uh, Galloping Ghost Arcade, the last time I saw an Atari football video game was Spanky circa 1985. That was the last time I ever saw one. That was 34 years ago for those who were keeping score at home. Um, pretty much every square inch of that place had video games. Like I said, it, it was like an old car dealership. Um, basically... It had um, one 
area that was slightly raised above the second area is like a two-step staircase uh, going down the second area. And the second area actually had like really good shag carpeting, so it was really comfortable to stand and play games at. And I want to say they had at the very least 50 games. At the, at the height of their powers, they had at least 50, probably somewhere between 50 and 75 you know, counting the pinball machines. And they also had a good selection of them as well. Um, yeah, so yeah, 8.5 for uh, selection. Ambiance, 5.5. Um, this Spanky's was lit more by the sun during the day and the video game screens by night than any kind of internal lighting. The lighting in there was really dim. Um, I think it was on a slider switch, but I'm not 100% sure because there were various light levels coming from the overhead lighting, depending on, the, of course, the time of day. Um, yeah, that kind of made it a little bit cool, but there wasn't much else to draw the eye. It was almost all video games. I mean, I think maybe once or twice they had some music playing over the PA, but that was pretty much it. So, you know, 5.5, you know, just barely above average in my uh, opinion. Functionality, 7.5. The good thing about Spankies is that there weren't a lot of games that were actually not working, but if they were, they were out of order for a couple of weeks, maybe, a moderate period of time until they were fixed. You know, they weren't fixed immediately, but they weren't sitting there for like, you know, three, four months until they got fixed. Uh, the games were mostly in good working condition, and if they weren't and you told, uh, the manager about it, or the, you know, the guy who was, you know, uh, the attendant at the time, you know, he would, uh, take notes down, and they would, uh, try to get it fixed at a, in a reasonable amount of time, I would say, so yeah, 7.5. Value, I give that a good solid 8. Um, Spanky had, Spanky's had the usual 5 tokens for a dollar back in the day, 25 for 5. Um, that was more or less the going rate for arcades that used tokens, you know, from, I want to say, 1982 until probably about 1984, 1985, maybe. Um, for, for a short time, I think they did six for a dollar and 30 for five, but I think that was, like, in the heyday. I want to say that was, like, 1982, maybe even going into 83 when they did that. Um, to their credit, not too many games were two tokens. Uh, Star Wars was two tokens to start. Dragon's Lair was two, always two tokens. Um, but yeah, I mean, brand new games that they would get immediately. You know, most of the time they were, you know, 50 cents. Uh, when Ms. Pac-Man came out in, you know, 1981, um, Spanky's had like four of them. When they had, when uh, Super Pac-Man came out in 1982, they had like four of them. Um, there was, like, Pac-Man Row at one point, where, where there was, like, one Pac-Man machine, one Super Pac-Man machine, three Ms. Pac-Man machines, and, like, four Super Pac-Man machines. It was something like that. I could be wrong, but I think it was like that. Um, but yeah, value is an eight, because value was really good then. Um, you know, your money went quite a, quite a long way at Spanky's, you know, even if you weren't so good at the games. If you were good, you could basically take three dollars down there and you could be there for three four five hours without even trying too hard um so yeah 
Uh, you add all those scores up and, and, and divide by 5, you get a final score of 7.3. Now, when I started this podcast, I would have thought, after I came up with this criteria, that Spankies would average out to at least an 8. But in the end, I had to be honest about what let the place down. And that was its ambiance, and because there wasn't very much of it. Um, it still ranks as one of my favorite arcades of all time, probably top five, easily top five, I would say, maybe even top three. But, you know, part of that is, part of that is strict nostalgia, and I will admit to that. But this arcade was a major part of my childhood going into my teen years, so, you know, it will always remain one of my favorites, so, you know. It's just, it was such a shame when I found out that arcade closed. That was that was a bummer of a day. I was legitimately sad. I really was. I really really was. So yeah, that was uh, Spanky. That was my arcade review for Spanky's. Um, you grew up in Bridgeport. You know, you went to Spanky's all the time. Drop me a line. Tell me what you know, because I would love to know, and I would love to share stories and commiserate and all that fun stuff. So yeah, arcade addict Brian at gmail.com. And that brings us to the close of another episode. Uh, in episode 15, I have, uh, let's see, Arcade Rundown, It's Time for Some Strategy, Are You Experienced, and another segment of Home Systems. So I hope to, that you'll tune in when I record and put that up. Until then, I should have this up by the end of the week. It is now, what, Sunday morning, July 21st. I should have it up probably about Saturday. So that would be the 27th. So stay tuned for that. I will let you guys know when it's up. I post on Facebook. I post on all my social media. And uh, it goes up on Anchor first. And then from there it goes up uh, where and it goes up from Anchor to iTunes and Google uh, podcasts and all the other places. So just hang in there. It'll be out soon. So until next time, this is Brian saying have fun, good gaming, au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music is provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. If you wish to contact the show, you can drop an email at arcadeaddictbrian, that's all one word, at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail number for the show. It is 734-743-2433. Until next time, this is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast.